This is Pastor Phil Mentor. I'm the pastor of Harvest Worship Center in Tryon, Georgia. We'd like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. Every week, we try to broadcast our Sunday morning celebration that begins at 1030. This is the celebration of who Jesus is in our lives. We hope and pray that you will enjoy this message and that God will draw you closer to Him through it. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we are going to reference Galatians because that's our anchor verse, but we're going a little bit deeper into this Untamed, uh, Unleashing the Spirit in Your Life uh, series today. And uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, we're going to begin in just a moment with that and uh, go a little bit deeper in what I feel like God is uh, speaking through this. Uh, We live and uh, we function in a time where... Uh, we have been, church has just allowed the world to tame it, to tame it. Um, and that's amazing to me when the, uh, the purchaser of the church with his own blood was referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. Uh, don't try to tame that lion. Amen. That lion will be unleashed in your life. And uh, I, I believe that with all my heart. Um, that God is getting ready to do something great in the church. He's getting ready to release his spirit. Um, I'm, I'm moved. You know, we've we got to learn to pray some bold prayers, some of us. We, we, we tame our prayer life, do we not? Uh, sometimes we pray for what, you know, we pray this way. Lord, um, I know I can do this, but I really need your help to do it. In other words, what I'm saying is, is that, you know, I can achieve it on my own without your help, but, you know, why don't you make it easier? And... I wonder when we're going to get to the place where we pray those prayers that, you know, if God doesn't show up, I might look a little silly. But it's amazing to me that I I believe it's going to take that to see God really unleash his spirit and his presence in our lives. Amen. We're living in some great times. We're living in some, you say, really? I would like to live back in the time of Jesus. I got news for you. The disciples, I think, would look at us and say, oh, I'm envious that you get to live today when God's spirit is beginning to bring all things to completion. And they would have longed to have seen this day. And you say, I don't know if that's happening or not. It is. It is. And, and uh, you know, I, I love this because I, I still get tickled thinking about uh, when I traveled and especially I did a lot of ministry to teens and youth and still I re- occasionally get the opportunity to do that uh, still. But um, I was preaching about the return of the Lord in, in this youth camp, and I think it was in Iowa. And this kid come up to me and he said, Brother Phil, do you think it's the last generation? I said, for you it is. <laughs> One generation per person. What are you doing with it? You know what? We all think, well, you know, I believe the Lord's coming back. But guess what? God's coming back for you. Amen. You're going to meet him. Are you ready? Are you, and, and, and look, you may be ready to go to heaven one day, but I wonder, uh, and, and this is a, well, I wonder when I give account for the time that he gave me on earth, that's what I, I'm a little bit concerned about. I want to be able to give a good account of that time. Don't you? I want to be able to say, Lord, I didn't use it selfishly, but I used it for you. Uh, I, I did the best I could to, to, to love you and to demonstrate your love in this world. And so, again, uh, that untamed spirit, we're going to talk about building in our lives the, that, uh, that, that spirit, allowing that spirit to come and, and unleash itself in us. When, uh, when we come to church, a lot of times we, we apply the messages to others and not ourselves. Amen? You ever been guilty of that? I have. 
uh, I've sat in church and somebody preaching, I'm like, man, I wish so-and-so was here man, getting on his toes. <laughs> Boy, if I could just get them to church and let the pastor get that series in him or her. And, <laughs> and I'm missing the whole point. I mean, I, I, you know, they, they're not here. I am. Okay, I was telling somebody the other day, it's kind of like pe- preachers, I've seen them do it, get up and scold people for not attending church, and it's the ones that are attending, they're scolding. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, does it? Um, you know, it's like, I want to say, hey, uh, I'm here, you know, <laughs> don't get on my case, <laughs> you know, talk to that empty seat over there, that kind of thing. Listen, folks, we, we need the Spirit of the Lord to be unleashed in our lives, and we need God to awaken in the church like never before, but we need to realize that God is not going to be tamed by the way I think he should be. He's not going to be, like, God is going to do it his way, amen? How many has ever found that his way is a little bit better than my way, a lot better than my way? There's a lot of things that God is teaching me in my life, and, and there's a lot of things I'm still learning, and, and I'm going to tell you, uh, there's a lot of times people, I've heard people get to a place in their walk with God, they're like, well, I, you know, I really don't have much to learn. I know what I'm supposed to do. And, and that's totally contrary to what the Apostle Paul told his young spiritual son, Timothy, uh, when he was writing to him. He said, in some translations, it says, be apt to teach. But what it really means in the original uh, language the Bible was written, be a learner. Always be ready to learn. Don't ever forget. Be a student of the Word. Don't ever think you have arrived to a place that you can not learn something new that God is speaking and God is saying because you can learn something. I'm going to tell you something. If we will allow that spirit to be unleashed in our life, we can learn a lot of things from a lot of different type of people. We can learn some stuff really from people that we think are really not that intelligent. Did you realize that? There's a lot of people that think, well, you know what? I could never learn. Come on, you're thinking of names right now. I could never learn anything from that person. And, and, but you know what? God can teach through anything and anyone if we will allow his spirit to be unleashed in our life. Amen. If we will, be, if we will quit trying to tame the spirit of God and, and we will allow it to be real in our life, God will begin to open ways to, to share his hope with us in many different ways. I have learned some valuable lessons from sinners. Did you know that? The things I can apply in my Christian walk. One of those things is I've learned that there's a lot of things you don't want to do. You don't want to do. And, and I, I have seen through some of their mistakes, mistakes that I would have made had it not been for the grace of God in my life. How many would say, you know what, I get on some people's cases sometimes, but if it had not been for the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus, I would have probably done the same or far worse. Are far worse. We need to be ready to untame. The reason uh, uh, many people uh, do not see the, the miracles, the wonders, and the signs of God or even have the wonderment of God in their life is because they think they have God all figured out. Without the fullness of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives, all of these uh, things will, will, will just be principles in a book. They will not be things that are lived out in our experience. You see, what we need to understand today that the, the gospel is experiential. It is something we experience. It is not something we just read about and we, we say that's good and, and I'm glad God did that back then or I'm glad God you know can still... No, it's experiential. How many of you you know, how many of you remember the day you were saved? Anybody in the room? Okay. It looks like a lot of people need to get saved this morning because nobody remembers when they got saved. We got a house full of folks. Come on. Let's just do it right now. Listen. There is... There, it's experiential. 
It's experiential. What is the, you remember when you were sitting and wherever it was and however you were led to the Lord, the gospel was presented to you. And I don't know how you say, uh, God can use anything. I'll tell you how God can use anything. I have a cousin that was saved at an ACDC concert. You're like, yeah, that's right. Far out. DC, you know. I, did, I knew they was a Christian band. No. no, he was on his feet, out of his mind with some altering substances, and they were singing, I'm on a highway to hell. And his parents had been praying over him and praying over him and praying over him and trying to get his path corrected in his life, begging him to come to the Lord, begging him to come to church. And he said, I was up singing, and all of a sudden it hit my heart. I was going to hell. And he said, right in the middle of the ACDC concert, I turned around and I knelt with them singing, I'm on a highway to hell, and decided I wanted to go to heaven instead. God can use anything at any time in any place. You're saying, oh, I don't know about his salvation experience. Well, guess what? You just figure that out when you see him in heaven saying, I'm on a highway to heaven. Amen? I don't understand why God chose that time and that place and that vehicle of the mess, but he used it for his glory. And you see, when you tame God's spirit, it's a good indication. If you sit there going, I don't know about that. You have a tamed spirit in your life. You have tamed the spirit of God because when I read the gospels, I don't see a tamed Jesus. Do you? Do you see this tamed gospel? If you do, I'm inviting you to reread the book with a fresh outlook of God's spirit in your life and ask him, God, I want to see it the way it mean, way it was really meant because when I read about this, I read about a Jesus. Well, guess what? He was nothing more than a rebel, a radical. He was not conventional in any way. Whenever the Pharisees and the religious wanted him to do it a certain way he would break out of that mold when they said don't heal on the Sabbath he healed on the Sabbath when they said don't eat on the Sabbath he tells them he tells them look what I've cleansed is cleansed listen when Peter when Peter was was a good Jewish boy good Jewish boys don't eat pork okay that was against their rules and he was a good Jewish boy, and God gives him a vision about how the gospel was being to be to the, to the Gentiles also, not just to the Jews. And remember the story? We, we, we fictionalize these stories in children's church, and then we forget them as adults. But, you know, he, he shows him all these unclean things. A sheet comes down and shows him all these unclean things, and the Spirit of the Lord says, rise up, kill, and eat. And what God was showing him is that the gospel was not going to be restricted to one little group, selected group of people, but the gospel was going to be unleashed on this earth to reach everyone, to reach every tongue, to reach every race, to reach every nationality. It didn't matter what your pedigree was, that the cross meant life to everyone, that for God so loved the world, the world. And so he has this great vision, and then all of a sudden he's with his Gentile brothers, non-Jewish brothers, and I guess they're having them a good pork meal, I don't know. And all of a sudden, when the Jewish delegation arrives, come on, the religious people arrive, the ones that have the inside information arrive, Peter is there eating with his Gentile brothers. He gets up from the table and goes to be with them. And guess who's standing there? This brand new apostle by the name of Paul. And Paul says, I got in his face. 
I got in his business and I let him know what he was doing was not the will of God. But you say, was he ugly to him? I don't think he was ugly in any way. He corrected with love. He corrected with brotherly love. And you say, some people have preached and said they were enemies at that point. They were never enemies, my friend. They were never against one another because it was because of the of Peter that Paul's writings were considered more than just the words of a man. If you will read Paul's, or Peter says about Paul and his letters to the church, he says, you need to understand what he is writing to you is scripture. It's holy. It's anointed of the spirit. You better not just take it as a man's word. This is inspired of God. And because of that, we have all these letters of the man named Paul in the Bible. So they weren't enemies. But guess what? You can correct if you love someone. Amen? How many of you realize that correction spared you a lot of pain sometimes? Amen? Correction will help you. That's what the scripture is there for, to help us stay on the right path. So anyway, the Holy Spirit operating in our lives, all of these steps and things God wants to do in our lives. As we continue in this series on being a disciple, unleashing the Spirit in our lives, this untamable spirit, this untamed spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says it this way, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. I want you to understand if you have given your heart to Jesus, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You are a property of the Lord God Almighty. And I'm here to tell you, he wants to use his property to affect a lost and dying world with the message of hope that he has. I'm here to tell you, I still believe you can preach the word of God and people want to hear it. If you'll do it under the anointing of the Holy Spirit who is in you, you are not your own. Amen? Amen? Now, this is kind of fun. I want you, if you're married today, I want you to look your, your darling spouse in the, in the eye. Will you do that? Come on. Look them in the eye and say, I don't belong to you. Say, I'm the property of God because pastor said so. By the way, if you're the property of God, you'll gladly honor your covenant. Amen? Gladly honor your covenant one to another. But he says, Paul, Paul writes this. He says, you need to understand there's a temple. Now, when he writes the word temple, automatically our minds might think of one particular location if we've studied foreign religions and different things. But we really got to understand what the mind of the Corinthians would have been about. Now, I lived for a short time in, in Greece, and we traveled to, Corinthian, uh, to Corinth and, and got to visit the ruins of Corinth. All of the Greek cities and villages... They didn't have, they had a patron temple to one of the gods or goddesses. They would always, each village or city would have a patron temple. But there, there, then there would be temples to all the other gods. And so when, when, when Paul says temple, all of a sudden their minds are racing to the temple of Aphrodite, the temple of Athena, the temple of Zeus. Their, their minds are going through all the Greek gods and Roman gods. That's what they're thinking about. And he's saying, they, in this city of Corinth, there are many temples 
that, that I've been built. That's what they're thinking of. Think about the mindset. He says, how in us, if we put the word church, or do you not know your body is the church of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, you are not your own. Now, if we say church, our minds go to locations usually and buildings and and brand names. What brand of Christianity do you wear? I I, I want you to know that that's kind of what they were doing. They were thinking all the different temples and all the different places. He's saying, don't you know that you, your body, you don't have to build some special place for the Spirit of God to dwell anymore, right? You know, in Jewish times, they built the temple and the Holy Spirit came and filled that place to the point that that all of the, the, you know, Solomon and all the delegates had to leave the temple of the Lord because the Ark of the Covenant was there and the Holy Spirit and the presence of God filled the house with smoke. They had to walk out of that place because the presence of God was so real and so rich they could not even invade the temple that was being dedicated that day. So the Jewish mind's going to that temple and all of a sudden this radical who is following the radical Jesus says, listen, don't you know something that you think you've got to build a place and say that's where church is, but church is not out here. Church is not over there. Church is right here, and God wants to dwell right here. You're not your own. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, if the temple, or if we're the temple, look at somebody say, man, I didn't realize I am a church. So if that's the case, what kind of church are you being? What representation out in this world is God getting? Think about that. Let it sink in. Uh, well, while I'm here, God is good. God is great. All right. Oh, how he loves me. But when I leave here, what is happening in my experience? What kind of advertisement? Hmm. God help me. I'm going to preach truth this morning. You better pray for me. We're fixing to get into some stuff this morning. When I'm walking down the halls of my school or I'm at the mill or I'm, I'm working my job, whatever you do outside of these walls, what kind of church are you advertising? Okay? There's a few things people look at when they visit a church. And... It can vary, but statistically, one of the number one things the women look at is restrooms. That's true. They want to see is it restrooms. Number two is nursery. Is ministry. Number four is the seats comfortable. Come on. All right. They look at those things. Now, if. If I had on this sign, party all week long, and you come in and I had a bar set up in this corner, come on now, follow me, we're talking about the church, and everything that you can imagine goes on in here, and you walked in to visit, how many of you would stay? 
If you would, we're going to pray. No. Be like, man, they call that a church? And that's just like any bar, any party place I've ever been in the, in the world. But here's a verse of Scripture that says that we're the church. So what am I advertising to this world about what's in me? Am I making sense this morning? Just acknowledge with a wink, a nod, an elbow to the rib to somebody beside you gently. gently. Are you following what I'm saying? God's not going to start unleashing his spirit till we start getting really real about our experience with him. That doesn't mean I go freak people out. Amen? In other words, you're going to love Jesus or else. I'll tell you about a friend of mine, and I would not recommend this way of evangelism because nowadays it will end you up in probably jail. But he wasn't living right. He was telling me about this when I was in college. He wasn't living right. And, but he was one of these, he could instantly switch on the religion when he needed to. Somebody talked about God, he's all up in their business. How dare you talk about God? I love God. Jesus is my life. You know, then he cuts a blue streak and punch you in the face, that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, you know you know people like that. And so, <laughs> you know you do. And so all of a sudden, one day, there was a friend of his that declared he was an atheist. He said, I'm an atheist. And my friend was telling me about this. He got really upset over that. He said, no, you believe in God. He said, no, I don't believe in God. He said, I can prove you believe in God. He said, you can't prove nothing. And they're just going back and forth all day. He says, I'll tell you what. You come out to my truck after school, and he said, I will prove to you there's a God. So after school, they go out to his truck. The argument has continued all day long. I'm an atheist. There is no God. This is all made up. It's a crutch psychologically to people, and they're all being duped and fooled and, and you know, all the arguments that are given. And then all of a sudden, my friend, <laughs> he's a preacher now, by the way, reaches under the seat of his truck, pulls out a 357 Magnum, puts it between the eyes of his buddy, and pulls the hammer back, and his buddy starts screaming, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. He said, see, told you there was a God. Jumps in his truck and drives off. That's a true story. At least according to Ted, it's true. <laughs> it was a different day for all y'all sitting in these front rows. Shotguns were in the back of the windows. Anybody remember those days? It was not. <laughs> it's a different day. I would urge you not to practice that form of evangelism. Okay, I'd urge you not to do that. Very twisted view of doing things, but I guess it accomplished what he was after. Huh. The thing is, I wonder if he would have had to prove to his friend in that radical method that there was a God. If the God that he was saying he represented was truly represented in his life. Because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You are the church of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. I am not my own. Listen, and because I am not my own, I can't act like I'm my own sometimes. And sometimes I want to act like I am my own because there's sometimes I would really like to say what I'm thinking. How about you? 
but there's the Spirit of the Lord in me that reigns back what I would want to do and what I'd want to say. You see, that is called the flesh versing the Spirit. My flesh wants to just sometimes, have you ever seen somebody or been dealing with somebody and they had that special look on their face? You know what that special look is? They need to be slapped. You ever dealt with anybody like that? Guess what? I deal with people like that sometimes. But you know what pulls you back from that? It's the Holy Spirit saying, you can't do that. You can't feel, you can't go slapping people. You, you, can't, you can't go telling people what you really think about them even though it may be true. Because you are representing my kingdom on this earth. And my love has to penetrate their life. And then he reminds me who I would be without him in my life. Am I perfect? No, because everything wrong about me is when I follow that flesh. But when I follow the Spirit, that's when the good comes out of me. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? God's wanting the good to come out of his church. And what is the good? Not you and not me. Amen? Because what is my nature? My nature is to gratify me. My nature is to do what I want to do. My nature is to accomplish what I want to accomplish, to say what I want to say. But I'm here to tell you, if you think God's sitting back for one moment saying, okay, I'm good with that because you're here on a Sunday and you're worshiping me on a Sunday or you show up on an occasional Wednesday or Sunday night, that would be a fool's way of thinking. God's not good at at that at all. God's sitting back saying, I want to be unleashed in your life. you got friends going to hell. you got loved ones going to hell. I want to be unleashed in your life, not in a fanatical way that pushes them away from God. Somebody could cuss a blue streak in front of me and I don't have to correct them. Oh, I don't know about that. Why, do I, why will I not correct them? Because if I correct them, I may push them away and never get an opportunity to share Jesus. But I believe if I'll keep loving them, even when they're demonstrating the worst person that they are, if I'll keep sticking in there, God eventually is going to give me an opportunity to share his love with them. And God can change anybody. How do I know that? Because I look in the mirror every morning and realize how I've been changed. Mm. I look in the mirror and I realize who I would be without him. And where I would be without him. And since he gave me his all, I think it's the least I can do in return. Why? For I am not my own. How many's ever sold something? Man, you people don't get involved in nothing. <laughs> you don't sell anything. You don't buy anything. I don't know how y'all make it. How many's ever bought something? The more hands than selling, you are greedy. That's what it is. So we buy, but we won't sell. Seriously, how many's ever bought something they really, really liked? Come on. A car, like you're like, man, this is the car. This is where I throw in my wife's favorite story. When I was 18, I drove and was able to purchase, yes, darling, a 78 Trans Am limited edition black T-tops. Burt Reynolds, baby. I'm telling you. 
400, son. She'd suck the hood in when you hit the accelerator. She was awesome. I was called to preach and traveling all over the country, and I could not afford the gas that her name was Cindy Crawford. Cindy was a high-maintenance date. I'll just say that. So we had to sell her for a Pontiac Grand Prix. All the things we do for Jesus. <laughs> That's what Tina went on her first date with me in. <laughs> her name was Thelma Lou. True. <laughs> if you want to know what my truck's name, that's Reba. It's a redhead. What are you saying? Listen, listen to me. Jesus deserves everything. And that's what Paul's laying out there. He deserves everything. And your flesh will try to dictate what he can have. And, and so, think I bought Cindy, okay? <laughs> I bought her. I, I immediately, look, when you go from a 76 love truck that's a five-tone with no floorboard in it to that car, I pushed a lot of shopping carts to get that car and a lot of shopping carts and a lot of toilets cleaned at Big Star Grocery Store in order to earn enough money to buy that car. And then by prom, she rolls out with a brand-new paint job and a brand-new bird kit on I mean, she was smoking. But what if I get that car back, and the previous owner walks up and says, all right, I have my keys still. I'll see you later. Jumps in it and drives off. And I say, wait, what are you doing? Well... I wanted to drive the car. But you don't understand, I bought the car. I'm the new owner of the car. Well, but I'm going to use it. You can't use it. You have no rights to it. As a matter of fact, that's stealing. But yet we come to the cross of Jesus and we say, I surrender all. But when we want to take it out for a spin, we get in behind the wheel and we push Jesus over on the passenger. Most of the time we push him out of the car and we say, no, it's still my life right now. When I get in trouble, you'll be there to take ownership again, right? But right now, I'm going to use it. I'm going to have every right, but I still get to go to heaven, right, Lord? And the Lord's sitting there saying, look, this is not just about heaven and hell. This is about me being your everything and helping you through your everyday life. If you truly mean I surrender all, then let me have the ownership of your life because when I drive I take you to the right destination am I making sense this morning will you stand we want the power of Christ moving in our life who wants to see miracles come on let me just put it this way It really needs, and I'm not talking about they need some extra money so they can buy, you know, something they want. I'm talking about they need a miracle. Maybe they've got cancer. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they're, 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 they've, got, they've got things in their life that they need freedom from. They need a miracle, not a miracle made up, but a miracle like we read about in the Word. How many in this room know somebody like that right now or know of somebody? They need a miracle.
How are they going to get that miracle if the church is stealing from the Holy Spirit? What do you mean? Taking back what he owns. I got it this weekend, God. Lord, you're my everything, but I'm fixing to go through the doors of this party. And you really wouldn't like what you see in there. So I'm going to ask you to stay outside, but you're my everything. You're my best friend. But, I'm, but because you would be offended at it, I'm going to ask you to stay behind. Because I really want to go do what I need to do. But I'll see you Sunday, okay? If you had a friend that said they were your best friend, oh, you're my best friend, you're my sister, you're my brother, you whatever. But they left you out when they wanted to go do something that they knew you wouldn't want to do and they kept doing that. But you know, you're my best friend. You're the only one I can talk to, the only one I can... That's not a friend. Jesus wants to be your everything. I am not... Man, I had so many other scriptures to share, but God just has me hung up there. Don't you know, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you have ever loaned something that you owned to somebody? Come on. How many has ever got back that something in poorer condition than when you loaned it? What do you say to yourself? I ain't getting it again. And it makes you do what? It makes you not want to loan to anybody else. Get jaded from it. When <laughs> I give my life to Jesus, makes sense. He loans me back my life. But he's expecting it to be returned in mint condition. Unscathed. Some of us in this room, we are one step away from the peace that we need right now. Not peace that fades when we walk out that door, but peace. And that step is giving full ownership over to God. But I'm saved. This goes beyond that. This is about surrender. Paul would write later to the Roman church, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, there it is again, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of the Lord. Paul says, I beseech you, I beg you to give your everything to the one who gave you all. I beg that you see this Jesus that died and gave everything for you and you surrender your all. And then he goes on and he has the audaciousness to say, it's the reasonable thing to do. Why could he say it was the reasonable thing to do? Because Paul had a true vision of what Jesus gave up in order to go to that cross. In order to put on that flesh. 
And I'm going to tell you, I don't think we will really truly understand what Jesus gave up for us till we stand one day and we behold him in his glory. And then we're going to say, I get it. I get what you did. I get it that you gave everything you didn't have to but you did it because you loved me, because the Father loves me. You gave your everything. But I guess I could be a fool for saying it, but I believe we could just get a glimpse of that this morning. I believe we could get a glimpse of what he gave up, and it could cause us to want to say, God, all to you I surrender as a living sacrifice this morning. You see, the the terminology changed in the New Testament. Up until this point, it always was about dead sacrifices. They would go to the temple and they would tell the priest what they needed and they would tell them according to the law, it'll cost you a dove, it'll cost you two turtle doves, you need to offer a goat, you need to offer a lamb. And then after they made the the deal with the priest, the priest would take that animal, whatever it was, he would cut their, their, their throat and the blood of that animal would spill out as a form of forgiveness. Again, a type. But you see, once that animal was dead and laying on that altar, there wasn't no getting up. It had no will to crawl off that altar. It was dead. But now Paul says it's changed. Are you following me this morning? He says, I'm asking you to give yourselves as living sacrifices. Because the difference between a living sacrifice and a dead sacrifice is living sacrifices can crawl off the altar anytime. But there's something powerful about the individual who says, I'm sick of the way my life has been. I'm sick of the world. And I am ready to see this untamed spirit released in my life. And so I come and I say all to you, I willingly give and surrender. Lord, I'm thankful you saved me. But Lord, guess what you say? No, he's talking about the sinners. No, Paul was writing to the Roman Christians right to the church he says surrender a living sacrifice he says that's the least you can do this morning I wonder as we bow our heads and close our eyes in this building there's a reason I'm doing this because I feel like some of us we need this Every head bowed. On behalf of Harvest Worship Center, we would like to thank you for listening and worshiping with us today. For more information, please visit our website at tryinhwc.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We would also like to invite you to come and experience the presence of the Lord with us in person. We are located at 456 4th Street in Tryon, Georgia. Our morning celebration and evening celebrations are every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. Wednesday night is Worship in the Word Night. We have classes for every age beginning at 7 p.m. We look forward to meeting you.